You're listening to Country Life with Keith Fahey on Galway Bay FM. Good evening, I'm Keith Fahey and welcome to this week's edition of Country Life. On the show this week we'll be talking to Michael Gottstein who's head of the Sheep Programme in, in the Knowledge Transfer section in Chagas in Athenry. We'll also speak to Sarah McIntosh who is a journalist with the Irish, Farm, Irish Country Living section in the Irish Farmers Journal. And we'll also talk to Associate Professor David Stiles uh, from the University of Galway who works in the Agricultural Sustainability School of Biological and Chemical Sciences in, and in the Ryan Institute. Plus we will have all the latest from the Marts and farming news from across the county and of course uh, every week as, as we always say if you'd like to get in contact with the show you can email me on countrylife at galwaybayfm.ie that's countrylife at galwaybayfm.ie so just in relation to some March reports, the Montbellu March sheep sale on Saturday the 21st of January saw a smaller number of hoggets to the previous week and uh, met with improved trade, especially for the heavier lats. There was a brisk demand for heavier, fleshier hoggets with prices up by 5 to €6 euro on the previous week. Larger number of stag yos to previous week also met with an improved trade, especially for heavier lats. And some sample prices for hoggets include 8 weather hoggets at 43.5 kilos, sold for 129 16 weather hoggets at 53.1 kilos sold for 154. 12 year hoggets at 37.5 sold for 120. Then onto the stag yos, there was a larger number on offer and met with a brisk trade, improved trade on the previous week for heavier and fleshier lots. Some sample prices for stag yos include 5 yos at 83 kilos sold for 132 euro, 1 yo at 58 kilos sold for 95 euro. 6 yos at 80 kilos sold for 134 euros and the sheep sales every Saturday at the Montpellier Sheep Mart at 10am gates open at 8am cattle sales uh, to resume on the 1st of March 2023 also and just onto some onto the more Mart reports so on the Chew Mart uh, demand of, uh, was driving trade at Chew Mart on Monday the 23rd um, on January's cattle sales so sample cow prices some sample cull cow prices included a 710 kilo Belgian blue cross cow a 2,110 or 2,97 a kilo a 710 kilo uh, cemental cross uh, sold for 2,140 or that's 3 euro and 1 cent a kilo some sample heifer prices included a 480 kilo limousine cross uh, sold for 15.90 or 3 euro a kilo a 615 kilo charlie cross heifer sold for 19.20 or 3.12 a kilo a pair of 55 kilo, 555 kilo Charlie Cross heifers sold for 17.50 or 3.15 a kilo. Then onto some sample bullock prices: a 400 kilo Angus Cross sold for 11.60 or 2.90 a kilo. A 505 kilo Charlie Cross sold for 16.60 or 3.29 a kilo. A 660 kilo Charlie Cross bullock sold for 2.020 or 3.06 a kilo. Then onto some sample whaling bull prices: included a 270 kilo limousine Cross bull whaling sold for 1,000 or 3.70 a kilo. A 355 kilo limousine cross bull weaning sold for 1100 or 310. And a 355 kilo uh, limousine cross sold for 310 or 1100. Uh, sample weaning heifer prices included a 285 kilo cemental cross selling for 910 or 319 a kilo. A 325 kilo limousine cross heifer sold for 1090. And that equates to 335 a kilo. Um, and so there was a superb trade across the board on Tume. Um, at Chum Mart on Monday there, buyers were eager to secure quality stores and heavy cattle. Next week, we'll see the opening of the evening whaling sale on the twenty and for 2023 on Monday, the 30th of January, kicking off at 5.30 after a morning sale, which takes place at 11 a.m. So that's the report sent in by the Chum Mart. Um, then uh, we've gotten an email there from um, Ear to the Ground as well. This week, Helen um, is in leash at a family farm, uh, run beef farm that has dis- diversified into vegetable growing. 
uh, micro style Ella meets a farmer bringing a little bit of Korea uh, to Kerry and Dara McCullough meets a mead couple milking all year round so that's the ear to the ground on at 7pm on RT1 uh, this Thursday evening at 7pm repeated on Sunday at 1.10 so that's ear to the ground so just to reiterate the Chagas National Sheep Conference uh, is on the first one is on this evening um, the 24th of January in the Hillgrove Hotel in Monaghan and the next one is on the 26th of January in the Brandon House Hotel uh, in Uras County Wexford and they they, they start at 7pm and there's four speakers lined up for each one Um and Chagas Director Professor Frank O'Mara will also speak at them. The Flock Health um, will be covered uh, along with anti-alimentic resistance by Dr. Dave Leithwick, um, who is a Principal Scientist in Parasitology at the Pastoral Agricultural Research Centre in New Zealand. Um, and also they will cover a little bit on organic. So Elaine Levy, who's the Chagas Organic Specialist, will speak to Amy Jackson, an organic sheep farmer from Offaly, and they will discuss factors to consider when producing lamb on an organic market. Then also they will speak to Dr. Jonathan Heron, who's uh, with Chagas, speaking about the greenhouse gas emissions and the targets that have to be met there in relation to the 2030. Uh, and also there will Lisa, they will speak to Lisa McGrain, a PhD Walsh scholar based in the Chagas National Sheep Research Centre in Athenry, and she will present research um, in addition to white clover and herbs, plantain and chicory to perennial ryegrass. So that's the National Sheep Conference. Um, taking place in the next uh, couple of days. So first up this evening on Country Life, we're delighted to have Michael Gadstein. So Michael is the head of the Sheep Programme in Chagas uh, and the Knowledge Transfer Programme. Michael, you're very welcome on to Country Life. So firstly, Michael, maybe you might tell us a small bit about your role with Chagas. All right, thanks, Keith. Yeah, so look at Keith, I suppose my, my job in Chagas is I'm head of the Knowledge Transfer side of the house, so it's it's really a kind of a, a link between research advisory and and, and education and um, we coordinate quite a few of the national sheep events um, and I have a team of, of specialists working with me and we provide technical support as well for advisors and the industry um, so generally it's kind of trying to get the, the messages that are coming from research out onto onto farms and, and uh, out to our education partners as well. Okay, and the uh, Chagas National Sheep Conferences are, are upon us, uh, Michael. You might tell us a little bit about them, where they're on, uh, where they're on, and maybe what they're going to, what you're going to cover with those. Yeah, so I suppose uh, at, at the time you're going out with this, uh, we, we'll be stuck in our first one, and that's happening uh, tonight in Monaghan, in the in the Hillgrove Hotel, starts at seven pm. Um, for people who didn't manage to get to Monaghan, I suppose there's there's a second chance, and that's in New Ross. I know that's a bit far away, maybe for people, but um, in the Brandon House Hotel in New Ross at 7 p.m. on Thursday, the 26th of so next Thursday. So basically, we have um, four four papers and some very interesting speakers. So first up on that is is uh, Dr. David Leithwick from Ag Research in New Zealand. So David, David, after coming over there. And he's going to talk to us a little bit about managing antimitic resistance on sheep farms. So antimitic resistance is basically where the drugs that normally would kill the worms inside the sheep's bellies um, no longer do that. Um, that the worms have become resistant to them, and that's that's a worldwide phenomenon. It's something that's you know been around for a long time, but it's becoming a bigger issue, I suppose. It's becoming a bigger issue in Ireland, and it's been a bigger issue, I suppose, in the southern hemisphere for for longer. Um, and they have a lot of experience in that in New Zealand, and and Dave and his team have been looking at at managing that on New Zealand farms, but also looking at reversion. How so, you know if you if you get to the stage where 
products have stopped working, you know, is it possible to turn the ship around um, and and get things to improve again? And like that's very very difficult. But you know, um, there are some things there that they're doing that are probably of of benefit to us in terms of you know if you haven't got to that stage yet, what are the steps you should be taking on your farm to prevent you getting there? Um, you know, getting to the point where the, the products no longer work. So that's the first speaker. Um, the second speaker then we have is it's it's two two speakers. It's a joint paper between uh, Elaine Levy. So Elaine is basically works with us in Chagas. She's an organic specialist, and um, with her we have Amy Jackson. And Amy is a, a an organic sheep farmer. Amy and her husband Ross are are, are farming there um, in Offaly, and um, they're organic sheep and tillage farmers. And they're they're basically talking about organic sheep farming. A lot of people, kids you know, will have gone into organics recently, and and basically it's it's a what's involved in in organic sheep farming. Um, you know what are the differences and what are they doing? Like so, very interesting paper there for people, in particular people who, you know, have switched to organic or maybe people who are considering it that that they want to do something like that maybe in the next round. Third up, then we have um, Dr. Jonathan Hearn from Chagaskin Moor Park and. And uh, Jonathan is basically looking at emissions from, from the various agricultural sectors. So look, at, we, we are always hearing about, you know, emissions and greenhouse gas emissions and methane and, and agriculture and, and, you know, targets and things like that. So Jonathan is going to give a paper there on, you know, where, where is the natural sheep industry? I mean, in general, <clears throat> we're very good on the sheep side. Um, we're the lowest emitting ruminant sector. Um, but Jonathan is going to give a, a kind of a steer there as to... Um, where we're at uh, with sheep in, in, in an Irish context and, and, and maybe some of the steps people could be taking. And then lastly, we have um, Lisa McGrain. So Lisa is a, a Chagas Squire scholar. She's working with Dr. Philip Creighton in Athen Roy. And Lisa is looking at sheep performance on pastures with clo- clover or herb mixtures. So, you know, a lot of talk about multi-species wars. I suppose the, the research in Athen Roy isn't as such grazing a multi-species ward with, with four or five different um, uh, plant species inside it. What we're doing is we're, we're grazing grass and then grass with clover or grass with various different herbs. Um, and Lisa is going to give uh, an outline of, of what they're seeing in terms of what these different herbs and clovers have to offer um, and what the performance benefits they're seeing on, on the sheep side of things. So they're the four speakers. Um, we're starting at 7 p.m. every night. So 7 p.m tonight now in, in Monaghan and um, 7 p.m. On, on Thursday in the Brandon House Hotel in Ross. It could go on for about two hours, maybe a little bit with it, two hours and 10 minutes, and then there's tea, coffee, and, and, and biscuits for people afterwards and a chance to, to catch up with, with, with friends and, and maybe to talk to some of the speakers as well if they have questions. Um, the event will be recorded, so we'll be recording the event on Thursday, and we, we will be putting that out so people who've missed the event um, we'll get the opportunity to catch up on it um, next week. Um, it'll probably be published later on next week and um, it'll be on the Chagask uh, website. Okay, very good. Thanks very much for that, um, Michael. Um, so a lot of information there, a lot of good, very good speakers in the Chagas National Sheep Conference. Just a quick one there, um, just to explain a little bit further on the multi-species sword, how are they going in relation to um, the trials in Athenry, we'll say, and, you know, persistency long-term, uh, Michael, um, are they, are the different plants staying in the sward? Yeah, so look, at I, I suppose... The, the jury is very much out on 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 some some of, of these things. I suppose what we're doing in Athenry is looking at 
individual components of a multi-species wards with grass like so we, we don't have with a um, research done on, on the swards with kind of four or five or six or in some cases they're even looking at nine different um, species inside the swards. Um, what, what's there is that once you add something in either a herb or, or um, a clover animal performance increases um, the work from UCD would be showing that you know from a, a, a biodiversity point of view it improves it as well and that's where maybe some of the herbs have a little bit to offer. What we're seeing really is the chicory is the one to disappear out of the sward first, um, and the plantain is probably the one that stays around the longest. Um, so look at, I, I suppose, in terms of, of animal performance, it's it's positive once you add something in with grass, uh, you increase intake and you increase performance, whether that's clover or, or a herb. Um, I suppose the challenge is around managing those, um, you know, so like weed control becomes very, very difficult. Um, persistency, as you mentioned, Keith, is, is an issue. It's an issue even with just grass clover swars and in sheep grazing systems. Um, and certainly, I suppose, to get some of these herbs to stay there long term can, can be, be, you know, quite challenging. So there's a little bit of work there yet. Um, it's not, it's not, I suppose, a magic bullet per se. Um, I know there, like, uh, people will be looking at including particular legumes like clovers into swards in, in the future to reduce, you know, fertilizer usage, um, costs associated with fertilizer, but also greenhouse gas emissions associated with, with fertilizer applications. So so probably there 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 is, you know, definitely a positive in terms of grass clover. Um, but we're going to have additional challenges in terms of how people manage those to make sure that the clover stays there. Okay, very good. Um, and, you know, the hot topic at the minute, you're obviously talking to sheep farmers on a daily basis. Uh, you know, we see beef prices up at 5.25, 5.30 at the minute this week for, for heifers, maybe in factories and maybe increasing further as well with Chinese demands and all that. The lamb prices, maybe, Michael, on the other hand, are back an awful lot on this time last year. Uh, maybe, I suppose, why is this maybe? And, you know, what's the numbers going forward? Or see some extra sheep maybe carried through into 2023? Or what's your, what what's what's going to happen here? Yeah, so look at it, Keith. I mean, land prices are very disappointing. And, um, you know, it, it's a difficult time at the moment for people that are, are, are finishing lambs and have lambs coming fit. Um, you know, the price is, is not where it needs to be, I suppose, in terms of covering... Um, you know, the increased cost in particular, the cost of concentrate, which have, you know, gone up significantly and, and most farmers will know that are probably paying around somewhere, you know, 480, 485 a ton, which is a kind of historically high price for concentrate. So um, we've had two reasonably good kills early January. Um, I suppose in terms of, of where it's at, uh, the people in the meat factories in Bourbier are telling us that, you know, there's a number of issues at play here. So first of all, lamb is is um, is the highest price of the protein sources. So uh, in terms of meat, if you're on a meat counter, lamb is generally the, the most expensive um, protein source. There's an awful lot of food inflation across um, Europe at the moment. So uh, I saw figures last night at a meeting in Atlone where I was at where they were saying food inflation in Germany is at 20%. Um, coupled with that, we have general inflation as well. Um, so a lot of... of of increased costs associated with fuel and, and, and all of those things, um, electricity costs. And, and people are, are feeling, I suppose, a little bit of a pinch. So what we're seeing is that um, in a lot of the kind of, you know, supermarkets and things like that, that shoppers are opting for the cheaper cuts 
so they're not going for the, the wrecks or the legs of lamb, they might be going for the more mince or chicken or pork to cheaper protein sources. Um, so we're losing a little bit on, 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 on the consumption side of things um, in terms of demand for lamb just purely because it, 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 it's seen as a very high-priced product. So that's the, that's the first thing. So we're seeing a little bit slacking off in terms of, of consumer demand for the particular prob, pro, product. Um, that said, you know, in, in Europe, we're not self-sufficient in lamb. And I mean, that you would be thinking is a positive. And up until recently, I suppose we didn't have a lot of lamb coming into the European market from the Southern Hemisphere, from New Zealand and Australia. And that has changed as well this year. So there's significant quantities of New Zealand and Australian lamb coming into um, into the UK and into Europe, and um, and that's displacing or creating competition for some of our lamb, um, you know, and it's pushing down the price. And what ha- what ha- what has allowed that to happen is a, a slight lessening of demand on the on the Chinese market. So that China is the biggest sheep meat producer in the world, but also the biggest consumer and their consumption is back as well, so they're they're also feeling the pinch. Um, and I suppose that has, what that has done is diverted or reduced the price of lamb in New Zealand and Australia, and it has reduced the price of lamb to the extent that it is now economic for them to start shipping lamb again, um, even with very high transport costs to um, the EU markets. What they're generally shipping is is kind of frozen and uh, product, and uh, you know the the the, the lower type, uh, price bracket type product, and it's displacing, in particular, UK lamb onto the onto the um, European markets, and and that that's a little bit of a challenge for us then, obviously, because we are, you know, the big exporters into the 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 EU market, and if we have stiffer competition there. Sterling also has has strengthened um, about five percent, and that's basically making the UK exports into the EU markets more more. Uh, it's positive for them, and um, that's obviously a, a negative for us. So I, I suppose look at what we're seeing is um, you know a difficult time. It's January is generally a month where people feel the pinch after Christmas and. Possibly the overspending and, and meat markets tend to, to be struggle a little bit, especially in the second half of the month. Um, we will see a number of, of you know festivals like Ramadan and um, Easter coming on stream, and that should should drive demand um, for lamb, and hopefully the prices will increase. But at, at this particular point in time, um, there's no major shining light there at the end of the tunnel, um, Keith. That, I, I unfortunately am in a position to tell you that lamb prices are going to increase very rapidly and dramatically um, to where most people would want them to be, uh, you know, to help them cover the, the, the cost incurred. Um, it's certainly very, very disappointing. Um, but there seems to be a number of factors at play that are, are just making the market very challenging. Okay, okay, a very good insight into the market there. And maybe just a, uh, a quick one, um, just feeding yos, obviously pre-lambing, uh, Michael, is obviously of vital importance at the moment, I suppose. What should farmers be feeding yos at the moment? And, you know, um, uh, the majority of farmers will be lambing in the next couple of weeks or that. Uh, what should they be looking out for? Yeah, so Keith, look at, I suppose, when we're feeding yos, the key things to be looking out for really is is have enough space 
truck space is, is the big one. And I think that's where most farmers fall down is not, you know, whatever about how much we feed them if they haven't room to eat it. Um, and that creates lots of problems like prolapse and things like that. So the first thing I'd be saying to people is, you know, if, if you have more than 1% of yours prolapsing, have a look at what you're at. Um, you know, so that's one in every 100 yours um, prolapsing, then I'd be looking at feed space and also the amount of feed you're feeding in a single feed. So we'd be saying not more than half a kilo or a pound for the, a pound per feed for those people that are in the old money. Um, so if you're feeding more than that, then you'd be splitting it into two feeds eight hours apart. That's very important. Um, somewhere around half a metre um, to 0.6 of a metre truck space, most farmers don't have that. So as you always get bigger, um, you know, the crush gets, as, as they're going into feed, it becomes more of a struggle. So if you find that you're in that situation, fire a few trucks into the back of the pen as well. I know that means you have to get in with the ewes and feed them, but it'll pay dividends in terms of particularly shyer ewes and, and weaker ewes being able to get their fill as well. Um, lame ewes as well. Look at, I mean, if ewes are lame, and very often as ewes get closer to to lambing and get heavier, we see those kind of things uh, popping up there. So uh, lame ewes need to be be um, sorted out, otherwise they can't fight for the food feed at the truck, and um, that basically then will will have implications in terms of of their you know lamb birth weights and also colostrum and things like that. So I suppose in terms of of, of feeding, really uh, depends on the silage quality, Keith, and uh, the type of silage that you have, but um so you know if people haven't tested that then they'll have to take a stab at it i think generally we farmers tend to feed a little bit more than a little bit less um i'd be very strongly pushing people down the soya route for the last two weeks so i'd be hoping that we'd be putting about 200 grams of soya um meal per head per day into yours um with twins so 100 grams of soybean meal per per lamb carried so if if that amount of soya is in the ration that you're feeding. If it's a proprietary um, sheep mix, find out how much soy is in it. If if it's a bit short on soy, just buy a few bags of soy and um, fire it in on top of it. And that gives us, you know, better quality colostrum, you know, better immunity in lambs and, and, and things like that. So it's, it's a small price to pay. You're only feeding it for a couple of weeks and it's, it's, it's generally a small amount. Keep an eye on condition, really. Often people are saying, you know, okay, I haven't tested my silage. How much meal should I be feeding? If your yews are thin, they need a little bit more. You know, if your yews are in really good condition, you know, things are probably okay. So what I'd be saying is, is, is look at the body condition of the yews. It's a good proxy. Um, you, if yews lose a lot of weight um, in the run-up to lambing, then basically it reduces their chances of rearing a lamb. So there's a lot of research on that, that yews that lose a lot of body condition between, say, scanning and, and lambing time have, have poorer outcomes in terms of, of getting their lambs over the line. And that's simply because they can't milk off their back. So they might lamb down fine and, and go out with their lambs and everything. But what you'll find is that a proportion of those yews, in particular if they've lost a lot of body condition, will end up losing a lamb at some stage out in the field because they just, you know, um, aren't able to milk and, uh, sufficiently to, to drive on those lambs. So farmers, when you're feeding your yews, is a good time, you know, pop into the pen, handle a few yews. If there's yews there that are getting a bit thin, um, you know, if you have your yews, maybe divide it into single twins and triplets, fire the thin sing or thin singles in with the twins, fire the thin uh, twin bearing yews in with the triplets because they'll be getting a bit of extra meal, um, and and that should help. Um, so look at, I suppose, in terms of of concentrate quality, what we'd be looking for really is is concentrates 
that have good quality ingredients. So the good quality ingredients, Keith, would be your barley, your cereals, your barley, um, oats, wheat, maize, um, pulp, citrus and beet pulp. Um, on the protein side, then things like distillers, um, soybean is, is obviously the king um, in terms of, of protein quality, but it obviously comes in there at a, at a price. And then kind of the, the medium quality ingredients that we'd be saying kind of medium in terms of energy, but still reasonably good quality would be things like um, maize gluten, soya hulls, um, and the ones we want to try and avoid or have little as little as possible in would be things like, you know, sunflower and um, palm kernel, wheat feed, pollard, those type of things, they're lower in low energy. Um, so have a look at it. Um, rations are expensive and maybe sometimes you're better off to buy a ration that isn't as good, but is a good bit cheaper and feed a little bit more of it. So, you know, um, obviously if people are very close to lambing, lambing in the next couple of weeks, changing the ration um, that you're on is not a good idea. Um, people who are further away from, from, you know, people who are lambing maybe after Patrick's Day, um, you know, I suppose in, in, in those situations, they're probably only starting to feed now. And then it's it's a good idea to maybe check out and, and see what rations are out there, what's the value for money. Um, you know, if I'm feeding 0.8 of a kilo of a, <clears throat> a ration at 500 euros a ton, you know, um, would I get as much energy and protein into the U.S. if I fed a kilo of a ration at 450 euros a ton and might be cheaper? Like, you know, so those are kind of some of the sums that people can do with. Look, if people need help there, the local advisor will be able to do a few sums for them and give them a bit of an advice and steer on that. Very good. Thanks very much. Some brilliant tips and uh, advice there from Michael Gottstein, head of the Sheep Programme in uh, Chagas. So thank you very much for coming on Country Life, Michael. Thanks for having me, Keith. Country Life, brought to you by Your Credit Union. Renovate. Your credit union is the foundation to your home renovations. Credit unions in Ireland are regulated by the Central Bank. Terms and conditions apply. So next up on Country Life, we're delighted of David Stiles. So David is the Associate Professor in Agriculture and Sustainability in the School of Biological and Chemical Chemical Sciences um, in the Ryan Institute in the University of Galway. So uh, you're very welcome on to uh, Country Life. So firstly, I suppose if you'd like maybe to give our listeners a, a bit on your role in the University of Galway. Okay, well, thanks for the introduction, Keith. Um, I guess my role, I'm um, the co-director in the new Agricultural Science Programme, which we have here, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But um, I also do research uh, looking especially at agricultural systems and land use and how we account for greenhouse gas emissions coming from milk production, beef production, how we might get to net zero greenhouse gas emissions that we often talk about in the land sector over the next few decades. So um, a lot of my research is really about accounting uh, the environmental impacts of uh, different production systems, really. Okay, very good. Um, what agri courses are available in the University of Galway? We see, you know, with Mount Bellew and that, we see, you know, Chagas and all the different courses available in Galway. Um, I suppose you have a new course, relatively new course there in the in the degree in agricultural science, which is great to see to have in Galway as well. Um, so just to, maybe if you could give us an insight into the different courses that are available there. Okay, thanks. Yeah, well, the, the main new course that we have is the, the degree in agricultural science um, and this is a course that's kind of been in gestation for some time there's a master's course that's been going on um, in the College of Science and Engineering here for a number of years called um, uh, climate change agriculture and food security and, th- and this really is a new undergraduate course that's aimed to, to bring in people from the West uh, to learn more about agriculture agricultural science agricultural practice but also about 
the policy challenges that we face, if you like, going forward in terms of land use, etc. Um, and why should students maybe decide or pick uh, the University of Galway? Well, I think um, obviously there's a number of new agricultural science courses which have, have come up around the country and different courses will have different strengths. But something that we think is quite unique for our course is that we have these three pillars, if you like. We've got the technical pillar, the technical knowledge of farm management practices uh, being delivered through Chagask with a close partnership with Chagask and Nathan Rye and the experts there. Um, we've also got the scientific side where we draw on deep expertise in, in kind of um, plant breeding, uh, plant genetics to understand how plants evolve and are adapted to uh, different uses, animal science, uh, uh, but also systems thinking, trying to understand the sustainability of, of different practices and different land uses. But then in addition to that, we've got the business and geography input to the degree, uh, um, which is really to cover things like farm business management, farm planning, um, general sustainable developments where agriculture and land use fit in there and practical skills like geographical information systems, land mapping, uh, using using maps on the computer, etc. So we think with those three different pillars, if you like, the technical knowledge, the scientific knowledge and the kind of business and geography knowledge that we give students a really good understanding of the challenges facing uh, the agricultural sector and the changes that we're going to need to make in the agricultural sector to, to become sustainable and resilient in the future. And is it similar to other courses, we'll say, throughout the, the country, um, David, you know, in relation to, we'll say, the UCD, uh, UCC recently started doing a, a level eight there a couple of years ago as well. And maybe what, you know, what practical uh, knowledge can the, uh, can the students expect to get? Okay, so uh, there are a number of new courses. And I know, for example, in UCC, there's a, a real focus on dairy production. There's there's less of that here. We're We're closely partnered with um, Chagas Ganathan Rai, who deliver a lot of expertise in terms of uh, beef rearing, uh, sheep rearing systems, knowledge about how to manage those. We cover dairy through collaboration uh, with, with uh, partners in, in Chagas Moor Park. Um, we cover arable systems, but not in as much depth. And so I think um, there is a specialism in, in the sheep and the beef systems, which arise in the west of Ireland. But also we address some of those big challenges that we face in the West around succession planning. How do we hand over small farms with, with relatively low profitability, low turnover? What's the future for those farms? What are the alternative land uses and, and income streams we might be talking about in the future through diversification into things like the bioeconomy, which a lot of people are talking about? There might be new revenue from selling grass for other purposes, for anaerobic digestion or, or, or new types of protein or new feedstocks for packaging, those kind of things. So we try to integrate a, um, a, a focus, if you like, around uh, future alternative land use planning as well as existing farm management, uh, which we think is appropriate for the west of the island, west of Ireland, where we face some of these challenges. Okay, very good. And you mentioned, you know, so I suppose they're all part of the, you know, the course. You have your business side of it, you have your science side of it. Um, you know, we've seen students there uh, working in Athen Ride there where they come out and they, they look at the different grass productions. We had Michael Gottstein on earlier speaking about, you know, your multi-species sward. Um, so there's a lot of work will in, in terms of industry, research, advisory. It's like education. It's all coming together as one. So the students get an all very good all-rounded approach to all the different aspects of agriculture. It, exactly. That's exactly it. And there's a lot of change being talked about in the sector. We've got hugely challenging targets to meet for climate change, for water quality. Um, we have to address all these issues. So I think there's no option of, of standing still, if you like. There's no room for complacency anywhere in the economy, really, when we talk about these big sustainability challenges. So I think 
engaging students with the alternative visions of the future is important and there'll be different views and different perspectives fed to the students from the different stakeholders and I think that's important for them to to see these different views and to have a space to talk about them and to to think about them without polarization and without kind of um an unnecessarily adversarial uh, approach really it's a, it's a good space for them to think about uh, constructively about the future very good. Dave Stiles, Associate Professor in Agricultural Sustainability from the University of Galway. Thank you very much for coming on Country Life. A very good insight into the courses that are available there in uh, the University of Galway. Thank you. Country Life, brought to you by Your Credit Union. Cultivate, providing farm-friendly finance across the west of Ireland. Credit unions in Ireland are regulated by the Central Bank. Terms and conditions apply. So we're delighted to have Sarah McIntosh on the line. Uh, Sarah works as a journalist um, with the Irish Country Living section in the Irish Farmers Journal. Uh, Sarah, you're very welcome on to Country Life. Um, so maybe I suppose, firstly, you might tell us a little bit about yourself maybe and your role uh, with the Irish uh, Country Living section. That's perfect. Hi, Keith. Thanks very much for having me on. Um, so I guess a bit of background about me is um, I studied food and agribusiness in UCD. I graduated there in 2020, um, 2021. And I'm working in the Farmers Journal there for over a year and a half now. And recently I started as a journalist in the Irish Country Living Team. So I'm covering all the careers and finance side of things at the moment there now. So it's a very busy section and it's great to be part of the education system um, in the agriculture industry. Very good. And we had um, Professor David Stiles on there from the um, University of Galway speaking on the um, the courses available there in terms of agricultural education and that, So, uh, which kind of ties in very well with the, the interesting article you completed in last week's uh, Farmer's Journal there, uh, Sarah. So you were explaining, you know, the CAO timeline um, and, you know, how to apply. Firstly, I suppose for some of our listeners maybe who aren't very au fait or familiar with the CAO, uh, firstly, what is it, I suppose, and how how do people apply? Yeah, definitely. So um, we had a six-page CEO guide in last week's paper, and it's really to help students who are currently doing their leaving certificate and applying for college courses through the CEO application. Um, now, the CEO application is the process by which um, you apply for undergraduate courses in the higher education institutions. So I think it can be quite overwhelming for students really when they're starting to apply for college courses because there's so many different variety of courses available now and also um, the timeline. You have enough deadlines and things like that. It's hard to take on more, but we've kind of broken it up into the more important times and dates to remember um, and also different financial advice and guides to help you make the most out of your application as well. Okay, you know, I suppose work experience, you know, and picking the right course is obviously, as you said, you know, very important. But, you know, I suppose it's not life or death either. You know, people, you know, it can change career paths many times now. You know, it's not like maybe historically where, you know, someone stayed in the same job for years and years. And, you know, there's loads. It's not all down to points either, I suppose. You know, we see a lot of students now working their way up from, you know, your level five, six, seven, eight on to do masters and that. So, look, even if you might miss out on a few points, maybe you know to get your level 8 there's always ways around it and that you can start with a lower course and keep going Yeah definitely I think there's nearly background back routes into every course at the moment you know there's always a second or third option I'd just be encouraging students to put down as many courses as they can especially the level 7s and 6s a lot of people forget to fill in that part of the application and no one knows how the exams are going to go on the day and you put a lot of 
pressure on yourself trying to get your first pick or your top five choices but really you should just try and focus more on the exams themselves and getting through that time of the year and then have a look at what courses and points you want um, it's good to have an indication of the points before you go into the exams but definitely I'd be encouraging students to take a look at the change of mind facility and use that time wisely to go through um, the section again and make sure you have your your courses laid out in the order of preference is most important. Okay. And, you know, uh, Sarah, I suppose, you know, it's not that long ago, maybe a few years ago when you were in college yourself. It's it's <laughs> yeah. it's obviously, you know, a massive change, I suppose, in for students or whatever. It's, you know, it's great. You, you know, maybe there might be a, a topic in school, maybe such as English or egg science or whatever the case may be that, you know, students maybe, maybe like. Or, and it's, you know, it's great that they can focus on this main, you know, subject they like. And, you know, getting ready for college, I suppose it's it's a big move for some families who may be the first uh, child maybe going to college or that. So what advice, I suppose, would you have for students um, making that transition? Yeah, it's, it's a huge um, change for everyone, really, and especially if you're moving away from home and moving on to campus. Um, my, we do a going to college guide every August, so definitely keep an eye out in the Irish country living around that time of the year. We do a good guide on it. Um, but personally, I think just trying to get through the exams and the courses and then over the summer is a great time to start prepping for you um, for college. I think it's important to become more financially independent, get your own bank account set up, and t- think about funding as well. How are you going to fund yourself during college? Do you need a part-time job um, or what, what sports might be available? And even things as simple as cooking your own food. I know it sounds, sounds simple enough, but you'd be surprised when you go to college and have to start cooking your own food and things. Um, it, it's just an important one to remember as well. Um, but yeah, I, I do think just try and talk to as many people as possible, get as much advice as you can. And that's what the career guidance are there for in schools is to help you make um, the right decision. And maybe it's a case of um, looking at colleges closer to home or further away from home, depending on your own personal situation as well. Yeah, that's for sure. I think, uh, I, well, I know personally myself, when I moved to Dublin, um, I did the egg science course in UCD and um, I didn't realise how bad a chef I was until I uh, <laughs> I had to fin for myself. You know, I, you can only eat so yeah. many boiled eggs in the week. Uh, and I remember the first week or two up there, uh, I was all um, egged out of it, as the man says. But, uh, you know, it is obviously, as well as that, I suppose, it is a very, you know, costly, um, it is Definitely. very costly on families to send children, especially as, as you mentioned, away there as well you know to different parts of the country with you know when we look at their renting and the the crisis at the moment and that you know I suppose yeah. what financial support Sarah are available you know we look at student loans there might be grants for families um, student grants maybe yeah. full grants What what what's your advice on that? Yeah, so we have a good um, report on this in last week's paper. So um, in the 2023 budget, a once-off contribution of a thousand euro towards uh, the student contribution was announced. So that reduced that contribution to 2000 for the academic year. Um, and then also there's now a rent tax credit of 500 euro um, from t- the 2023 budget as well. So those are just two. But um, the likes of SUSE, uh, the Student Assistance Fund, uh, fund for students with disabilities, the 1916 bursary fund. Uh, there's plenty of funds out there, and I think personally, I probably didn't 
take advantage of those as much as possible because you're not really thinking too much about the financial side of things when you're doing your application. But there's no point in putting the work in and then realising, okay, actually, I don't know if I'm going to be able to afford to go to college. Um, And I know I hear the stories of students at the moment with the the student accommodation crisis and things. So I, I just advise to get ahead of ahead of the curve really and try to start looking at accommodation as soon as the exams are over and you know what college you're going to. Um, you know and uh, as you said there you know there, with the level 6s and the level 7s a lot of students you know kind of overlook these and maybe another aspect yeah. that is overlooked and you have covered it as well in your, in your article is apprenticeship programs uh, there's some fantastic opportunities there in terms of apprenticeships you know electricians carpenters plumbers mechanics uh, there's a massive demand for um, all different types of apprenticeships um, you know and it's a great way of doing we'll say getting a qualification whilst getting paid as well and you know you're obviously guaranteed in a lot of uh, sectors there with apprenticeships that you will uh, get full employment when you do finish you know maybe unlike a lot of other courses that you know the job uh, prospects for certain courses mightn't be too hectic but uh, you know there is obviously a great demand for uh, qualified apprenticeships um, and different trades so what um, would your advice to be for people you know that may be interested in this? Yeah, definitely. I think it's important to remember that college isn't for everyone and there is plenty of options available if you don't get the points required for a certain course. There's currently 62 national apprenticeships um, out there and there's five new land-based apprenticeships being developed by Chagas at the moment. Now, they're in their final state of production, um, but they're hoping to have them completed this year as well. So over the last number of years, funding, um, there has seen been a huge increase in funding allocated to apprenticeships so there's huge opportunities there i know um last year there was a record of 8600 new registrations in apprenticeships so again it's more 50 percent um learning and 50 percent on work and as you said it's a great alternative for someone if they're looking to get paid as they're working as well and learning on the job too um it's a, it's a great opportunity and they should definitely just uh, look up um, and do some more research on them and, you know, we, we speak about the students um, and all that, but I suppose what advice would you give parents as well? Obviously, it's a, it can be a big change for a lot of parents in that, you know, the, the worry of one moving out or, you know, going into a new course or that. Yeah, I, I just advise parents to have open and honest conversations with students on college and going to college. It's important to have financial conversations as well as to what your financial position is, whether your son or daughter will have to get a part-time job or not, or what, what funding um, they might have. And also just to support them in their own decisions. It's, it's hard at the time because I know we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and parents go through the emotional support as much as the exam support. But it's just important to make sure that whatever your son or daughter, whatever their degree or their career path is, it's, it's their decision and just to support them on, on what they're passionate about and try and encourage them to pick a course or a degree that they are passionate about and have an interest in. So maybe just take the time to go through a few of the CEO courses with them. And if there's anything you think that they might be interested in, definitely bring it to them, but also encourage them to look at it themselves from their own point of view. Yeah, that reminds me. I remember the first week I went to college, uh, one of the lads collected me and my mother was crying when I was going. Um, now, to this day, I still don't know whether she was crying with delight or sadness, but uh, <laughs> uh, he was... I'm ho- sure a mixture of both. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but no, Sarah, thanks a million. Um, it was great to have you on. Um, you know, a very practical um, information there for people that are thinking of going to college. You've covered an awful lot in your um, in your article there in the Irish Country Living section in the Farmer's Journal, which um, is available, obviously, in the shops there as well um, until this Thursday where the new edition will be got. But um, can people access your information online as well? Yeah, definitely. So if you just go onto the Farmer's Journal website and look up Sarah McIntosh Sayers, the articles will come up there and there's lots of information. And I really would just be encouraging people to take a look at going into a course or a degree to do with the sector because it's definitely one that has um, huge career and employment prospects at the moment, in my opinion, anyway. Sarah McIntosh from the Irish Country Living section in the Farmer's Journal. Thanks very much for coming on Country Life. Thanks very much, Keith. So that's it this week for Country Life from Country Life. We hope you enjoy the show and if there are any queries about this week's topic or if there's any topic you'd like covered, please don't hesitate and give me an email at countrylife at galwaybayfm.ie and I'll get back to you. So until next Tuesday at 7pm, we hope you have a lovely evening and next up is Melodies followed by The Nightfly with Donald Mahan.